Lisi family, for the last three years, I've had the incredible privilege of managing The Nest, a children's resale boutique located right on East Ohio Street, just a few blocks from the church. The Nest opened in 2020 under the oversight of our ministry partner, Women's Choice Network, and with ACAC helping in a supportive behind the scenes role. But we have some really exciting news. As of January 1st, 24, both organizations have agreed to change places with the nest now becoming a new community ministry right of ACAC and Women's Choice Network continuing to provide that behind the scenes support. So it seems really fitting that we take the time to reintroduce you all to this ministry called the nest. And we would like to do that through the eyes of some of our very loyal nest customers. Over the past three years, I have found countless beautiful and unique outfits from the nest to send to my grandchildren. But this place is about so much more than just clothing. When you walk in, you immediately feel the love and grace that exude from the staff and volunteers. I'm a single mom who lives with my precious daughter, Zyel. I cannot say enough good things about the nest. In fact, many of my favorite outfits for her come from the nest. I'm a single mom and I usually am very conscious about price tags and how much I'm spending when I'm shopping for her. And when I'm at the nest, I don't have to worry about that. Recently, all three of my children, Aubrey Reagan and Malachi, were dedicated at ACAC at the child dedication. It was such a pleasant surprise to have our pastor present us with gift cards to the nest for each of my children and it couldn't have come at a better time. I was able to find special things for all of them on my next visit. And I keep coming back to the nest because of Miss Lynn and the staff that are so wonderful here. They make me feel like family when I visit and they welcome my daughter as well. They prayed for me when I needed it most. You know, when the nest first opened, I mistakenly thought the mission was only to help those who are less fortunate. But I've since discovered that when we all shop at The Nest, we become part of the ministry. And we provide the staff with the capacity to be even more intentional about reaching out to those in need, including our local immigrant and refugee families. I love The Nest, and I encourage you all to join me in being part of this meaningful ministry. The Nest now serves as an alternate front door for our church, opening right into the heart of our community and a place where every guest is welcomed as a divine appointment. Won't you join us in this ministry by visiting The Nest? You can shop here, maybe even volunteer, or donate nearly new clothing for Little Peeps. Together, let's help make The Nest an outreach that makes a difference for Christ on East Ohio Street. Well, what a pleasure it is to have this chance to reacquaint our church family with the ministry of The Nest, which now is a community ministry expression of ACAC. And let me just take a moment before we dive into God's Word just to uh, emphasize two points. First, I want to echo one of the thoughts offered by Pastor Elizabeth in that uh, video. Uh, that being that the nest is really for all of us. Uh, we're intentional about serving those who are financially challenged in our community, but the nest is really here for all of us. So let me do it this way. How many of you, would you please raise your hand, if you have a child, say eight or under, you have a child that's very special in your life. Maybe it's a, a, your own child or grandchild, niece, nephew, family, friend. There's some child that's special in your life. Just raise your hand and hold it up there. You see the people around you that 
have those hands raised? Uh, go ahead and turn to one of them and say, the nest is for you. <laughs> All right. Point made, I hope. And, and then secondly, on your way out, please take one of these invitations. Over the next couple of months, we'll be holding some open houses periodically uh, on Sunday mornings, early afternoons, giving our congregation the chance just to come visit and experience the ministry there. So we want to encourage you to take the opportunity to do that. Well, church, let's turn our attention to God's Word, and let's do so first by asking this question. Is there any intrinsic or innate value in a human life, in your life or in my life? If so, what is that value? And who gets to determine it? Do the young and healthy have more worth than the old and infirm? Or the homeless of lesser value than those who live in comfortable homes? Do the chromosomes that determine the color of one's skin or the nature of their genitalia increase or decrease the value of a human life? Or the preborn worth less than the newly born? Or the disabled than the abled? And what of the young and old who even in our own day are enslaved? used by others for their labor or sex, do they have the same value as those living in freedom? Well, these are questions that have occupied the thoughts of politicians, philosophers, and theologians for millennia. And they continue to do so to this day. And the answers to these questions have profound implications in shaping the values, morals, and thinking of individuals and of whole societies. Today, we'll once again look at the book of Proverbs for godly insight on these matters as we continue in our sermon series entitled Foolproof, Avoiding the Pitfalls of Life. As we've learned in past weeks, Proverbs is a book that guides its readers to walk in wisdom. That is the application of knowledge, what we know up here, to the practical affairs of life. <clears throat> Proverbs invites us to look to our Creator for guidance in this walk. For as Pastor Ross reminded us two weeks ago, the fear of the Lord, go on say it, is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. Brothers and sisters, we're incapable of knowing rightly, much less applying that knowledge to the affairs of life without first looking to the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Then last week in his message entitled, Speak Up, Pastor Allen pointed us to the value of justice that should guide all of us who seek to live a godly life. God is just. And he calls us to seek justice for the defenseless, to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Pastor Allen challenged us with our responsibility as believers to actively confront bias, prejudice, and favoritism in our world. Today, our continuing journey in this walk of wisdom leads us to a 
passage in Proverbs that I doubt anyone in this room has actually committed to memory. Our text is actually part of a smaller collection of 30 sayings, wise sayings, embedded by Israel's King Solomon, right in the heart of the larger book of Proverbs. Have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge to make you know what is right and true, said Solomon. Proverbs 22. Well, the 25th of those 30 wise sayings of counsel and knowledge is our text for today. It can be found in Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, follow along on the screen. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? The title of our message today is Rescuers or Bystanders. Would you please look to the Lord with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we offer these moments to you. We're here to hear from you. No one needs to hear from me. We all need to hear from you. So, Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would take this time and you would speak your words to our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And as today, once again, we consider the wisdom of God in the Proverbs of Solomon, may the Lord be with you. Well, it was the end of hump day. Wednesday afternoon, January 13th, 1982. Martin Leonard Skutnik, a man known to all as Lenny, had just finished his shift at the Congressional Budget Office. He was a mail clerk there. And Lenny had left Washington, D.C. and was making his way home in rush hour traffic through a snowstorm that had gripped the city when suddenly the cars around him came to a complete stop. Lenny, like most of the other rush hour commuters, was unaware of the cause, an unbelievable crash that only moments ago had occurred just ahead of him. Air Florida Flight 90 bound from Washington's National Airport to Fort Lauderdale, had experienced problems upon takeoff. Tragically, a combination of icy weather and pilot error had caused the plane to strike the 14th Street Bridge and plunge into the icy Potomac River below. By the time Lenny and many others had left their cars and gathered along the banks of the Potomac, there were just five survivors clinging to debris in the icy river, desperately trying to stay afloat. A police helicopter arrived on the scene and was lowering ropes with the rescue rings attached to the survivors. But as he watched, Skutnik saw that one woman was too weak and too exhausted to hold on to the ring. She was slipping beneath the water. It was too much to take, Scott Nick would say later. 
I absolutely thought she was going to die if I didn't go in and get her. Now, Lenny wasn't trained in life-saving techniques, but without hesitation, he stripped off his coat and his boots, and he plunged into the icy river, eventually dragging to the shore a young woman whose husband and infant son had perished in the crash. Why, at great peril to his own life, had Lenny Skutnik dove into that icy river to save a complete stranger? His own response offered little more than a practical explanation. He said, nobody else was doing anything. It, It was the only way. And in the moment, that answer was probably spot on because he didn't have time to think, only react to the dire situation of in front of him. So what do you think? Was Lenny just a special person cut out to play the hero, the rescuer? Well, if so, nothing in his past would have suggested it. In fact, Skutnik recounted later that the only other time in life that he had a chance to be the quote-unquote hero, he'd failed miserably. He was anchoring a relay team in a high school race, and, and he could have won the race. But he tired out and stopped. His coach had yelled at him, You quit, Skutnik. You quit. But he didn't quit on that fateful day in January 1982. And his actions inspired a whole nation. What drove Lenny Skutnik to leave the safety of that riverbank and the company of other bystanders and become a rescuer that day? Could it have been that somewhere deep in his soul, Lenny just understood that woman's life has great value? I just can't stand by and let her die. I believe that very premise underlies the practical wisdom offered to us through the words of King Solomon in our text today. Let's look there once again, shall we? Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? You see, in Mr. Skutnik's case, it was the threat of death posed by a tragic accident that launched him into action. In King Solomon's illustration, it's the threat posed to innocent human lives that should move God's people into action. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. A pastor, you might ask, how do you know the proverb is talking about innocent people? Why why do you say it's innocent people being taken away to death? Well, that's a good question. For one, the scriptures aren't silent on the topic of capital punishment. There are biblical and moral reasons why a guilty person might justifiably be taken away to death. And and a rescue in such a case would make no sense. But, But the following verse, verse 12, also makes it clear that's not what Solomon's talking about here. 
If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Clearly, God just doesn't buy the lame excuses so many people are prone to offer him. I didn't know. It wasn't my responsibility. I was just following directions or orders. If we stand by as innocent people are persecuted and perishing, if we make excuses for inaction as others are subjected to cruelty, injustice, and atrocity, the God who sees all and knows all, warns Solomon, will repay according to our work. God's people are called to be rescuers, not bystanders. Now, those are strong words that call for decisive action. Why would God's word implore you and me to rescue people from an unjust death? Well, I'd like to suggest that the answer leads us right back to the issues we considered as we began our time together. Is there any intrinsic value in human life? A value that exists naturally just because it's a human life. If so, what is that value and who has the right to determine it? Well, for those unmoved by the fear of the Lord and unguided by God's wisdom, the alternative is to look to the wisdom of man for answers. And as you might expect, there's quite a mixed bag in that closet. Scientists might point to the value of the various chemical elements that make up our human bodies, the carbon and hydrogen, potassium, etc. Using that standard, it's been determined that each of us is worth about $160. If we're to assign a value to your life based on chemistry, you're worth about the same as a nice pair of sneakers. During the pandemic, various government agencies tried to put a value on human life based on the amount of economic hardship or loss that, that we as a society should be willing to bear to prevent additional COVID-related deaths. These agencies calculated that American lives were, were somewhere between $3 million and $10 million. But of course, that didn't even factor in people living elsewhere on the planet who were presumably worth far less. Darwinists placed humans on an evolutionary family tree, along with the apes and bears and other living things from the animal or even plant kingdom. They see that whole tree as just the products of, quote-unquote, slime and time, as our pastor emeritus, Rock Dilliman, used to say. Thanks to this pervasive worldview, many in our own day find themselves more outraged over mistreated pets than persecuted people. Another indication of the world's low value of human life. And ancient philosophers commonly assign different values to different classes of people, a practice still in vogue, it seems, in our own day. For, for example, 
One modern era professor of philosophy, the late Marianne Warren, answered the question about the value of human life by distinguishing between human beings and human persons. She argued that only the latter, human persons, have a right to life. And persons were defined as those who are self-aware, who can interact with their environment and solve complex problems. Now that last part about solving complex problems might leave some of us men struggling to clear the hurdle. Especially, my wife would add, if those complex problems involve multitasking. <laughs> but be that as it may, it probably won't surprise anyone to learn that Professor Warren's writings are often quoted by those seeking to relegate many, including the unborn and those nearing the end of life, to non-person status. The simple fact is this. It's this. <laughs> Absent guidance drawn from the wisdom of God, every attempt to assign value to human lives, every human attempt to assign value to human lives will leave some people holding the short straw. That includes our Christian brothers and sisters in the West African nation of Nigeria, who according to recent news reports are being killed for sport by marauding jihadists. Thousands were murdered in this past year, including over 200 martyred in senseless attacks just during this most recent Christmas holiday alone. Do their lives have any value? It includes women, women being trafficked in Spain, many of whom are immigrants, deceitfully lured into sexual slavery by the, the promise of a good job. It also includes countless children in East Asia who are similarly trafficked. What's their crime? For most, it's simply that they come from ethnic minorities and are therefore vulnerable and targeted. Do their lives matter? It includes unborn children right here in America, taken forcibly from what should be a place of safety, their mother's womb. The toll in lives lost in 2023 was over 900,000 unborn children, including 3,000 right here in Allegheny County. Who has the right to say these lives are without value? Brothers and sisters, every time we look to the wisdom of man to assign value to human life, someone is left holding the short straw. Dare we say, behold, I didn't know this. But thankfully, as those who do fear the Lord, we're not left looking to the wisdom of man to answer the question of what value is human life. For the God of all creation has spoken clearly to us in his word concerning this matter. And it's his answer that compels us to action as rescuers, not bystanders, when confronted by such human suffering. And, 
That one has a loud voice, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I would fit right in just a little later in, in our message here. God's answer begins in the beginning, in the story of creation, in the very first chapter of the Bible. For in Genesis chapter 1, we read that out of nothing, God spoke into existence the entire created universe. The heavens and the earth, the sun, moon, and stars, the oceans and dry land, the plants and trees, and all the living creatures in the seas, he spoke them into being. And then picking up the passage in Genesis 1, verse 24, we read this. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Of course, those would be all the animals pictured on that evolutionary family tree we spoke of earlier. Created by God according to their kinds which might roughly equate to their species. But then the story of creation continues. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Whole libraries would be needed to contain all that's been written just about these two verses. They're that significant in our understanding of who God is, even more so who we are as the pinnacle, the high point of his creation. But I can't read these verses without pausing to make note of this detail. God spoke of himself here in the plural. Let us make man in our image. Now, many of you will recognize this as an early reference to the Trinity. One God eternally existing in three divine persons the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then God said, singular, one God, let us make man in our image, plural, referencing the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we see the Trinity in these verses, but the focus for us today really concerns not so much about what God revealed about himself, but about us as human beings. For the sake of time, let me just cite two points clearly evident in this passage. First, God created people to have dominion over all the the earth. That is to act as his agents, ruling in his authority over his creation. Wow, what a privilege we share, we together share in the purposes of God. And second, We are created not just according to our kind, like the animals, but in the image and likeness of God. Brothers and sisters, each and every man, woman, and child who has ever lived or is alive today bears the image and likeness of our Creator. Would you... Turn again to that person next to you and in your most awe-inspired voice, 
would you tell them you bear the image of God? It's an awesome thought, isn't it? You bear the image of God. Theologians use a term to describe this truth. They speak of the imago Dei, the image of God. But what does that mean? Well, again, we can't begin to unpack it all today. But for now, let's acknowledge the following. Unlike other parts of creation, as an image bearer, God has put in you a spirit that allows you to engage in a relationship with him. God is spirit, according to the scriptures, John 4, 24. And he's given you a spirit that can relate to him. As an image bearer, God has put in you a free will and a conscience that allows you to make choices and to choose right from wrong. And as an image bearer, God has put in you an awareness that there's a life hereafter. There's something beyond just this life. He's put eternity in our hearts, the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us. In a manner unique in all of his creation, people were chosen to bear the imago Dei, the image and likeness of God. But let's continue. What, what value does God place on you? The good news from Scripture just keeps coming. For God loved you enough to be active and present from your very beginning. Listen to the words of the psalmist. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You being God, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your, are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. When nobody even knew you existed, God was already forming and shaping you in the womb. Your life as a unique person, known and valued by God, didn't begin on the day you were born. That's just the day your family and parents met you. That birthday is just the day you're going to have to memorize if you ever hope to fill a prescription at the pharmacy. <laughs> but, your, but your life didn't begin on that day. It began in your mother's womb where God himself was active in shaping and forming you in secret. Of what value is a human life to God? He created you to bear his image. He shaped and formed you in secret in your mother's womb. And finally, God didn't stand by as the enemy of your soul tried to lead you away to death, spiritual death. Separated by rebellion and sin from the presence of God for all eternity. Knowing that sin had marred the image. That all his precious ones, the pinnacle of his creation, had freely chosen the pathway of rebellion. Knowing that we were all estranged and lost, God could have stood by and left us to our fate. He could have just started over. And the Father looked at the Son and the Holy Spirit and said, let's do a do-over. 
But instead, God became a rescuer. Loving people enough to send his son Jesus to exchange our sin for his righteousness. Our death for his life. Of what value to God is human life? He paid an incomparable price for you to have a new life. The precious blood of his son. You may be here today and you've never realized just how much God loves and values you. As I noted earlier, when he made you in his image, he gave you the capacity to engage in a relationship with him. That that relationship begins by faith. Your faith to say, God, I know your image has been marred by my sin and my rebellion. But I turn away from that now. And I thank you for sending Jesus to rescue me. Now begin that process of allowing him to restore that image in me and to walk differently in your purposes for my life. It's really that easy to begin a new relationship with God. And even today, you can start, rest- uh, you can start that process of restoring the image of God in you. In a few minutes after the service, I'll ask some of the prayer team and pastors and elders to, to come forward, present here at this altar. And I want to invite you, if you'd like to begin that new relationship with God today, you come forward and ask them to pray with you. And if if you'd like prayer for any other reason, please come to do the same. Maybe there was a time in your life when God was calling you to be a rescuer, but you chose to hide your eyes from that calling and you've been living with the guilt and shame of that failing ever since. Brothers and sisters, don't stay there. God's forgiveness is available to you. Join us at this altar after the service. Well, this weekend is the one we set aside each year to consider the sanctity of life. That word, sanctity, simply means that in the wisdom and plan of God, human life has been set apart by him for a holy or sacred purpose. Human life Your life has been set apart in creation. You bear the Imago Dei, the image and likeness of God. Human life, your life, has been set apart at conception. God was active in shaping you even before you were born. Human life, your life, has been set apart by redemption By faith, you can be set free from the penalty of sin. But, oh, brothers and sisters, at such a great price. The precious blood of his son. God has placed such a high value on each and every human life. And as as our creator, he alone is the one who has the right to determine that value. And that value is why he's called us into the rescue business. Rescuing people enslaved by persecution, injustice, and cruelty. And rescuing people enslaved by sin and bound for an eternity without hope. Excluded from the presence of God. 
Let me conclude today by encourage you, encouraging you to consider two responses to our time together. First, this week, would you ask God to help you see people as he sees them? Every person he brings across your path, would you ask him to help you see them as ones with value with which he values them? And then finally, second, would would you ask God to open your eyes to see someone in your sphere that needs a a rescuer. Ask him to give you the courage of a Lenny Skutnik and be one who steps in to address that need rather than one who just stands by. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for this wisdom from your word. God, the value that you've given to each and every person, the value that you've determined them to have, Lord, help us to see and appreciate that. Help us to step in and as rescuers, Lord, for, for those who are afflicted by the cruelty, but also for those, Lord, who are lost and separated from you for all of eternity, separated by sin. Help us to step in. Would you do this, Lord, that we might serve you well in Jesus' name. Amen. Just after the benediction, I'm going to ask our prayer team and pastors and elders here if you would come up and Again, any of you who would like prayer after the service, please come forward and join us. That church, would you please stand for the benediction? Church, as you leave this week, would you walk in the blessing of knowing this? God loves and values you more than you can even imagine? Would you walk in knowing that it doesn't matter what anyone else has said? It doesn't matter that they want to devalue you or put you... God values you and he loves you. Walk in that blessing and have a great week walking with him. God bless you, church.